Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Lightning Dogs, the official podcast presented by the Nerdist Show Network. Geeky programming for all nerds across the multiverse. On Nerdist Show programming is made possible by a comic shop, Orlando's number one comic shop and nerd destination. And with the generous support of listeners like you. To learn how you can support this and other fine geek programming, visit nerdistshow.com. Lightning Dogs is conceived as an all-ages property, but these behind-the-scenes conversations are not all-ages. So listen at your own discretion, baby. Woo! Sometimes a great idea is truly like a bolt of lightning. And sometimes, if you're lucky enough, you can capture the exact moment that it strikes. That's what happened for us one fateful night while recording an episode of Nerdy Show. We accidentally launched a concept that derailed the entire show, and in no time, our lives. We couldn't stop talking about our favorite action figures and B-movies while twisting them into strange creatures, weird adventures, and dog puns. Lots of dog puns. This is the story of the Lightning Dogs, a journey steeped in the glory of 80s and 90s animation and sci-fi, where anthropomorphic dogs tear through the wasteland of a ruined Earth, battling mutants, miscreants, and the evil Glampire. Coming soon to small screens, comic books, and podcasts. Or at least that's the goal. But how do you go from a crazy idea into a fully formed world of conflict and characters? How does a harebrained discussion become an animated series? That's what we're finding out firsthand. We've recorded the entire development of Lightning Dogs since day one, from the moment of conception to every world-building session and planning meeting, and the journey is still ongoing. Tune in as we create the world of Lightning Dogs live! high with lightning dogs. Our dreams for this show are as vast as the debris-scattered plains of the wasteland. But can three people be the sole creative forces behind what we hope to be a full-fledged animated series? Maybe, but we'd be daft not to tap our resources and team up with other humans for this cartoon canine crusade. In our last episode, we mentioned that we brought in artist Max Acree for vehicle design. But that's not all. We also reached out to two of our favorite illustrative pals to join forces with us in building the creatures and characters of the wasteland. Welcome to Lightning Dogs. We got <laughs> We got we got the usual suspects here. We got myself, Cap. Hey, I'm Doug. Tony. Okay. You're not the usual suspect. <laughs> you are an unusual suspect. Start over. Take it again. <laughs> we have two new members of the pack. We're rolling with Okay. Local shop big dog crew. <laughs> what? what? <laughs> That's K, aka K Monstar, and Local Shop, two longtime draw friends of Nerdy Show. We've worked with them on many assorted projects. You may know K's voice from uh, multiple episodes of Nerdy Show and Local Shop from uh, one, one episode of Nerdy Show a long time ago and um, doing the Lefty and Jamella comic with me. This episode, <laughs> surprise, surprise, is going to be very art centric. Have fun seeing that with your ears. So you have to tell me if you're videotaping this, if you're a cop. To tell me if you're a cop right now, you got to tell me. No, we'll just take <laughs> photos and post it. No, no, no. We'll take photos of the book and post it online. an art-centric podcast. It'll come accompanied with a lot of drawings. Drawings. <laughs> drawings. Drawings. You're such a good drawer. Wow. <laughs> I like drawler. Which, no, yeah, actually, I, it's more appropriate for the lightning dogs for drawer because that's what a dog sounds like when it gets a drawer. <laughs> <laughs> so this became Chewbacca for a second. <laughs> I've been doing art for Lightning Dogs. Tony's been doing all, many of the principal character designs for Lightning Dogs. We've been doing that stuff, but uh, if we're doing a thing that's hypothetically an animated series, we're going to need a lot more than two people working on this. And uh, local shopping K, they have some distinct styles that we love and want to see what happens when uh, we feed their brains with all the uh, craziness of the wasteland. My brain is starving. 
<laughs> in this episode, we're taking Kay and Local Shop on a sightseeing journey through the wasteland. We explore new takes on old ideas, roll out some exciting fresh concepts, develop the Lightning Dogs logo that you now know and love, and dig deeper into our core roster of characters. There's plenty of visual supplements this time around, so be sure to check out the links on this episode's page. Or subscribe to our DeviantArt Gallery to see all the new freakish faces. But before we could get drawing, we had some explaining to do. Kay and Local Shop had a cursory knowledge about the core concepts of Lightning Dogs, but it was up to Doug, Tony, and I to fill in all the grisly details. It's nothing that you, devoted listeners of the official podcast, don't already know. But in our recap of the story so far, we did end up veering into some fun conversations and in some cases fascinating new expansions of our world. So, we've compiled a highlights reel for all of our new developments and favorite moments that occurred as we told them the tale of the lightning dogs. How anthropomorphic are we talking on a scale of SWAT cats to street shark? <laughs> That that's not a really good scale. I don't think I think the I main mean, difference like, there is head size, head to torso true. ratio. Well, it was the Much. first two anthropomorphic things I could think of, and it turns out they're really close together. Uh, you're familiar with Black Sad, the series Black Sad, the I, French comic. Okay, yeah, I have a picture in my head. That's about that's what I've been working off of. So like people hands, not like paws. Um, halfway. Well, uh, halfway, I would say. But like, they have finger pads. Like, they have they have finger pads and like nubbins? paw pads. Yeah, and sort of nubs, yeah, beans, and like yeah. tiny, maybe, and maybe tiny. really tiny claws, but not enough to be like only in close-up, you know, but like like fingernails, yeah, like, yeah. but not like like but if, they, but if they put on a glove, oh. it would look like a human hand. Okay, my faces that I'm making aren't like bad. I'm just like trying to imagine them as real things, and they're terrifying. Right. <laughs> well, they're like, not, well, so, how would that well, work? Then, then back the it physics. up because they're not supposed to be terrifying. They're supposed to be like cool. I know I have to reel in the realism level <laughs> yeah. here. Like. I, but but ironically enough, more realistic than Road Rovers because they all have tails. Okay, cool. So, yeah, Road, Road Rovers were pretty freaky with yeah, their Road like. Road Rovers are freaky as hell because it's Road literally Rovers human body, dog head, and it was just too much. They travel from their dog world. Domus. Yeah, of course. Dog World is only ever a placeholder name. Yeah. <laughs> I like Dog World because it kind of feels like 90s-ish. Right, but, like, they, but they can't be like, we got to go back to Dog World. Like, that's no. what they are. Like, I got to go back to Human no, Planet. No, you have to go like, the dog. <laughs> I, I like the dog, dog World, actually. I like them. This dog planet's world. going to the dogs. <laughs> Year was 200 AD after Dog. <laughs> dog World dog. is in peril. That's the sequel show. They go back, and it's it's a whole other species of rise up. But yes, this is 200 AD. AD after dogs. It's like, <laughs> we gotta take back our home planet. <laughs> I think I just made the sequel show. I'm sorry, guys. Apology accepted. Uh, <laughs> Glampire has a robot servant, an android called uh, Nagel, who's styled after the the male drawings of Patrick Nagel, the the 80s artist famous for. All the uh, hairdressers that have bootlegs of his art up in it. God fucking bless you, Cap. That's amazing. I didn't. <laughs> I didn't even hear about that at all. That's awesome. I'm so happy right now. Like, thinking thing. about it. This entire thing is just going to be washing over you, like wave after wave of creative I happiness. I thought. I'm thinking like so many of them, like all the different. There's the lady with the long earrings. There's the guy with the loose blue jacket. There they are. They're all there, and they're all gonna kick your ass. <laughs> Humans were pretty far advanced. They had artificial intelligence, which leads Cap to what we were going to talk about with artificial intelligence elsewhere. Yeah, that, that what there was left of artificial intelligence did make sort of a kingdom for itself in Antarctica presently. That's where we have it stationed. We're kind of open to a suggestion there. Charles Soule did a remarkably similar thing with um, Swamp Thing before. It was canceled recently with the... Um, uh, with the machines, so I'm open up to uh, to to making some kind he of did, key he differences. He did robots in Antarctica. Yes, he did. The like artificial intelligent, and they they and they live there. Yes. Ew. Yeah. It makes sense. You know it's what? the only Fine. place that humans don't live, so the AIs congeal. Yeah. And, and, right there, and, and they'll uh, be like their super land. They don't have like, to worry about the cooling. It's fucking cold. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So they can run at maximum efficiency. <laughs> I, I'd, I'd, wa I'd want to see what he did with that because I, I, I believe we were taking it in a different enough direction. It least. was, it was really good, but we also are, we have so little, we can make it different. We just got to figure out right. what exactly is making it different because you want to talk about like, it is, it is legitimately a kingdom of artificial intelligences separate from humanity operating in Antarctica. That's almost all we had. And that's exactly what he had. Well, we had ideas with what they were trying to do, like, like why they were out there how their enemies against Glampire, what their goals are. Yeah, that's it. But it is still pretty loose. So we got we basically mm -hmm. want to we want to experiment with a remote society of artificial intelligences. 
I thought mousers were really cute. Like Baxter Stockman's mousers? Yeah. We actually have an equivalent that we came up with on our first episode that we have no idea what we're doing with that reminded me a lot of mousers. Robot fleas. Okay. They're like exactly. Like nanobots. Well, they're not like like teeny they're tiny. tiny. They're, they're yeah. like they're like it looks like a flea, but it's like the size of a dog and chrome. Oh, it's the size of a dog. That's but not a lightning dog. Oh, really adorable. <laughs> you know, feel free to do whatever with that. We've never drawn it. We've just talked about it. We have no idea what that thing is. We don't know who it belongs to. I would say it might be more interesting if they're like the size of a basketball or maybe a beach ball. You can kick it. Yeah, exactly. Whatever it is, yeah, you can kick yeah. it. But it'll jump real far. There's a whole wave of those coming over a hill. Would be like, oh shit. <laughs> What if there was a bad guy who could control the monsters in the water? Somebody from the Mariana Trench or whatever. You have like that mad scientist who can speak to the animals like the Aquaman of Kaiju. It's James Cameron. He's been hiding hiding right in there. (laughs) That sounds really dangerous. I don't know. (laughs) Entirely possible, though. I don't know if it makes any sense to work this shit in. I don't know how, but I want an army of mice spies. I want that to be all the intelligence networks because what about the like the RAF uh, from Rescuers. I am entirely down <laughs> with that, but picture. Okay, take that. Slap some Metal Gear Solid on it. I'm think, always down for slapping Metal Gear Solid. I'm on just it. saying. Like, Metal Mouse Solid. <laughs> what we need to be concerned with Squeaky is, Snake. is having too many instances of having like. Snake. Like, oh no, the snake is like well, the no, enemy no, of a mouse. No, Cap, Cap's right that we don't want to have too many instances of animals that grew in intelligence. That's like, co- like as, as a distinct race, you know, like yeah. we have because we already the, have the cats. They could be like, robot-controlled mice. I just I drew this little mouse head and I drew it looking concerned. And it's like, why would this mouse be concerned? Why would she be hunched over? Wait a minute, because she's a fucking. Well, spy. We can the thing about the peopleoids or mutants or whatever we end up calling them, the creatures of the wasteland, their genetics are so fried that parents could bear a child that would look nothing like their collective freakish visages. So, and also be I don't even really tall. want to imply that these things are bony because that's pretty terrifying. <laughs> we don't, we don't got to see that. Then we have right. to think about. It's just they should just lay an egg or something. But, that's like, <laughs> just like big ovums to just. <laughs> but, but you're it's not like giraffe. You're not going to see like a family of people with fly heads. You're never going to see that. It's going right, to be right. like, like, but, but, like, but potentially, like, some of them could be marginally adorable. Like, if we want to have a mouse-looking creature, mm-hmm. then yeah. But there's just one of them. Yeah, you can make... There's things that that's been in movies and cartoons where it's just like, oh, it's cute, but it's also kind of ugly. I mean, the sky is the limit. We just got to be careful about, like, races, groups of creatures, and, and similarities. So, you know, you keep drawing that mouse, Tony. You, you draw that... I can't stop. I can't stop. You can't dra- stop, won't stop? You draw that mouse, stop, but, but know that if that mouse has a life in lightning dogs, it's not as a race of mice. <gasps> It's a pinup for the side of the plane or something. Like, <laughs> like you just draw. Well, they like, know, how would they even know what it is? It's like just they just draw an approximation. It came to me in well, a vision. Uh, otaku's in cat Japan. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they got a real it's... thing for mouse people. <laughs> they only exist in their fiction, though. Okay. Yes. Yet another un- unattainable standard for female beauty. <laughs> The big titted mouse. I'm not saying if in cat Japan, the big eared mouse. For, big for round cats, mice. How can I compete to with to, that? Like be drawn to mice. <laughs> that says a level of weird. Like it's like food, but not. That's kind of not too far off from human culture. I right, know. right. Think about aspects. men and women for a second. Just think about them. <laughs> I've been thinking about men and women for several seconds. <laughs> Kids, a guy. No, kid's a girl, just androgynous. Oh, okay. I'm on team don't ever say for kid. <laughs> yeah. Like, just don't we, we ever. We actually did talk about kid. doing that, where it's yeah. like. Team gender where we, it's Because we're like, what sort of name is sort of gender neutral and kid came up? And uh, kid is also a mutt. So it makes, mm-hmm. there's no no particular breed. So. I'm also supportive of making kid a friend Six and naming race. it Play. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> is that the robot? Is oh. that the robot? Oh, God. That, okay, that. That could happen. Oh. We, we, we've, we've talked about kid befriending one of the robots and like maybe building a body for it or whatever. Oh, there you go. And You're it, welcome. The kid in play. Jesus Christ. Oh. <laughs> there you go. That's over my head. I have no idea what we're talking about. House party? <laughs> one through four? You can put that reference on my gravestone. I'm not going to come up with anything better than that ever in my life. For kid, I picture her coming from one of the provinces under the leadership of the Alpha Squadrons, as opposed to our, our, our Democratic folks. So she's got an experience under these other ones, and perhaps while our heroes come from this shiny utopia, or at least it's supposed to be, she's seen the ugly side of it. As they were moving through and they were supposed to be instilling order, but instead all they left was chaos and destruction, at least in her part of the area. 
So she's got a mutual distrust of any kind of establishment. Yeah, but then her, her allegiances would be to no side. She has to be willing to be an anarchist, basically. Mm-hmm. The best way I see that is her being disillusioned with the quote-unquote saviors coming in to relieve her of this other way, and perhaps even axing her family, who knows? Well, I, I think, one, she's got to be like an orphan who never knew her family, because otherwise, that's a thing for her. If she lost her family, then that's going to be... Lost versus never knowing, I gotcha. Right. She needs to not be in a position where people would think, oh, well, she's all anarchist, freedom of information and all that. She would have been a terrorist to those guys as well. If she was old enough, and she's, she's very young, but if she was old enough, she could have been a revolutionary. No, and I picture her maybe even having fallen in with that crowd. That's where the disillusion would come in, where, you know, she's trying to overthrow the alphas and she's looking at the, you know, she's hearing stories of the democratic nation and how they're, they're changing things and she likes their ideals, but then the reality comes in and she sees that, at least in terms of, from her eyes, ideals mean absolutely nothing. From, from what I'm picking up what both of you guys are saying, it's like, what if she's against the alpha system and she's like, I can't believe they settled and let the alphas still have any kind of say, even if it's kind of weaker than it used to be. And I'm all for the democratic side of things. But then when she digs too deep and sees that even the new democratic dog government is keeping their own secrets, it's like, well, fuck this whole thing. It's a classic thing for like a teenager who becomes a little bit more politically aware, you know? It's like realizing neither side is as pure as it tries to present itself. Right, that it's like, oh man, I grew up thinking this political party was better than this political party, and then you get older and you're like, oh wait, there's things They're all I don't pretty like much about. The same. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I also don't want to make Kid a politically oriented character. I think she's more about the cyberpunk ideals, which is so much fuck everything. She couldn't really be bothered to care. The information that she would procure would be for her own benefit. So she's really young then, right? Yeah, she's like somewhere between fourteen and sixteen. Maybe 15, which is between 14 and 16. Um, and you want to make her, like, androgynous, right? Yeah. To my mind, she's an outcast in, in every sense of the word, and that she's, she's a mutt. She's essentially genderqueer and doesn't really have allegiances with anyone. If she has friends, they're also, like, street urchin types. She's a person who, if, in the instance of the story of Lightning Dogs, she's going to realize that it's okay to trust people, but it's going to be a really, really, really hard road, and there's going to be plenty of reasons not to trust the people she's with. She's also got her own struggles to get over, too, you know? I mean, yeah. like, first of all, you're stuck here in the wasteland with people that you don't fully trust, and you still don't even really know who you are as a person because you're still just right? a kid, you know? Yeah. So it's just shitty in all quadrants for her. This is going to be real deep. Jesus. <laughs> I mean, it, our intention is to give all this backstory and much like Adventure Time under the surface, only really, like, show how severe things are on occasion. I have been thinking about, as we're nailing down these characters a bit more, trying to come up with a character map, a way, a way to sort of visualize how does each person connect with each person on a personal level. Like, for example, Kid can relate to Kane Corso on the technical level, like they're both sort of the techie experts, you know, and think about things kind of logically. But on the other side, I think she can relate to Pierre, because Pierre's kind of like the, I don't want to say he's the loner, but he's definitely the one who, like, he wasn't friends with Angela and Dingo going back. Like, Dingo's kind of the lone wolf, and that's kind of his problem. He considers himself a lone wolf, but he has a friend in Angela. So, like, that's Dingo's connection. Dingo and Angela have a history. They have a sort of friendship, battle brother history. So you see what I'm saying? It's like, it can get really complex, but in a good way, where we can look at each character and say, for example, how does Kid react to... Pierre, what does she have that she disagrees with him on? What does she have that she agrees with him on? Like, what's their rapport? What's her rapport with Kane Corso? What's her rapport with Narisa? And so on and so on and so on. Who does she look at like a father figure? Who does she look at like a mother figure, if any of those apply? What are your thoughts on Pierre and his relationship with our new outline for Domus and the other characters? You mentioned him being a, a kind of a, a loner, which surprised me to hear. I mean, he has less of a relationship to Dingo and Angela, but I, I figured, like, he's been with them before. They have a... Right. Loner may not have been the best word. I, I pictured him more of the, um, I don't want to say outsider either, but he's not really friends with anyone. He's the guy who got assigned. Like, if Dingo is going to help assemble this team, he'd pick Pierre, not necessarily because he's worked with him once before, but because he's actually, you know, he's good at his job. He doesn't have to know him personally that well. Just the idea that there's someone on the team on the militaristic side. If Angela and Dingo have a history, 
Pierre doesn't have a history with either of them. And that could be a point of contention for future things. He can view things differently because if Angela and Dango view things mostly the same way, he has the opposite opinion. Like, I just think he's just legitimately from a different background. Like, if Dango and Angela are, like, war veterans, Pierre could have been a war veteran but not have seen some of the heavy shit that they have. I'm thinking he came in late in the war and, like, after it was already kind of wrapping itself up, so he has the experience. And he has a lot of skill, but he doesn't really have, like, he hasn't seen the horrors of it, perhaps. And that I was getting the feeling that maybe he came from, like, a rich family. He doesn't really know the struggle as much as them. Like, he's still a great guy, but he really can't relate to Angela. You know, like, Cap had a really great detailed background on Angela. Well, I just think Pierre and her got to bump heads all the time. It'd be great if he came from, like, a background of, like, he enlisted super early. Like, he rose to the ranks really quickly because he was a A-plus student and was just athletically really good. Doug, I've got it. Mm Because we were talking about those provinces, you know, like, the dignitaries, the the heads, the the mini-alphas of those areas were realizing that they could give power back to the people, right? Right. Pierre's from one of those. Pierre's from one of those families, one of the dignitaries who gave power to the people, enlisted because he felt it was his responsibility. But still didn't necessarily see as much action. He wasn't in the thick of it, necessarily. What if he was just in a different theater, a more removed theater? He's a mechanic. He can't be too upper crust because upper crust aren't mechanics. Well, they they can be. What I was going for was him coming from a position of, of, of privilege. And I have firsthand experience with privileged individuals or individuals with more time on their hands than responsibility digging into mechanics as a hobby and being better at it than just about anybody else out there. Yeah, if he's rich, he could be the guy who puts together sports cars all day long, you know? Or at least he would have. Well, I mean, the the thing is about this team is they didn't just enlist anybody. Like, he has to actually be, like, legitimately good at what he does, and and them Mm -hmm. having worked together. Right, but well, the the, the main thing I wanted to get across was what is his background that allows him to butt heads against Angela? They still get along, they're still part of a team, but they're going to have a lot of different opinions on how to do things, and Dangle's the one who has to make the decision because he's the leader. So Angela says, we go in this way. And, and Pierre says we go in this way. Well, then why is he so opposite of her? Not just in physical, but like emotional and personality. And I'm like, well, if Angela's poor, then Pierre would have to be either rich or at least working class well off, you know? I, I like think he didn't get to do that. It could potentially be simpler than that, I think, insofar as like Angela started off poor, but more than poor, her existence was hard, like as hard as it comes. So the difference would be that Pierre comes from a background where taking it easy is more celebrated like you know say he was from spain in spain everybody takes a siesta in the afternoon it's a cultural thing he's of a culture that's just naturally more easygoing and his yeah his his lightheartedness and his devil may care attitude regardless of any privilege he may have had i think that that's something that's a little little bit more ingrained regardless of his social standing would be if he's just culturally the complete opposite he's like right if we can't push it too hard you're pushing everybody too hard this isn't going to work and i cannot work like this i'm down with that I also picture him being younger than Angela and Dingo. He's not a teenager, but he's stretching the mean, but he is just like his carefree attitude and his sort of laissez-faire approach to uh, to living to how, to how they do things, yeah. The way I've pictured it is Pierre and Dingo are about the same age, but like Dr. Jones said, it's not the years, it's the mileage. Exactly, yeah. They're about the same age, but Dingo has seen and done so much worse. Yeah, I think it's kind of important that they're the same age. Yeah, but as far as Dingo goes, Dingo knows his limits, and maybe Pierre doesn't. Yeah, I buy that. I buy that. I'd buy that for a dollar. (laughs) And this is why we don't recap the entire story of Lightning Dogs anymore. If that was our highlight reel, I'm sure you can imagine how long the full-length one would be. Actually, you don't have to. If you've got a morbid curiosity of how the whole thing went down, our entire recap for KN Local Shop is posted as a Patreon perk. If you donate to us at $5 or more, you get access to outtakes, early releases, and work-in-progress episodes, or strange things in between, like this perk. But I'll save the Patreon promotion for later on. We've still got a lot of ground to cover. Including one last random bit of discussion that'll give you a clue as to when we recorded this episode. Mad Max Fury Road had only just come out, and not all of us had seen it yet. As I'm sure you can imagine, that watershed moment for pop culture was felt to the extreme for all of us in the Lightning Dogs crew. What I will say in the broadest strokes is, aside from it being an exceptional film, it has put us in an interesting situation for Lightning Dogs. It truly has. Because we were always relatively based on Mad Max. However, Fury Road is at such an extreme, it has out-Mad Maxed every Mad Max, and that means it's more work for us. 
it's to such a tremendous degree that like I mean we gotta we've done no work on the cars for the lightning dogs but holy shit no I am I I I'm gonna take that for a second because yeah. the listeners haven't heard this I was going to go see the film and I was thinking about the the hot rods we've got and I've got a name for two of the cars okay we've got the lightning rod which I picture as being Dingo's main mode of transportation. Yeah, seems correct. And the Thunderclap. It doesn't have a muffler. It's probably one of the more powerful vehicles. You hear it coming a mile away, generally following right behind the lightning rod. Now, Tony, you originally proposed lightning rods as the name for all the cars, which at first I was like, eh, let's just do one particularly cool car. But if you're okay with it being the name for all of them, I'm okay with it being the name for all of them. But yeah, I'm kind of all for it being for all of them. Cause yeah, yeah, the I, lightning I, rods. I reconsidered, yeah. and I took about 12 hours thinking about it. <laughs> I think it can work, still like TBD, but I'm definitely more in favor of it. It's perfect. I mean, it was there for us to find. <laughs> you know, like, it was always meant to be this way. Pretty much. My vote is for the lightning rods. There's so much more car talk to come. When we get our own Mad Max, Max Acree on the show. He provides the gearhead insight that the rest of us are so tragically lacking. You'll be meeting him soon in future podcasts. During our recap, Local Shop, Kay and Tony, were all drawing, and now it's time to sample the freakish fruits of their labor. This is all the, the core plot stuff, but we want to know what we don't even know about. What we want to experiment with is the same thing that they did with Ninja Turtles and Masters of the Universe and a lot of other stuff. Take the crazy idea... Make a crazy drawing first of something that could exist in this world, and then we fit it in. We're like, wow, this is ridiculous. How did the fuck does this work? And then we make it real. So, like, uh, back at Ninja Turtles, they're like, wow, look at this crazy animal man I drew. He's got, like, robot parts on him. They're like, oh, cool. That's, uh, insert this crazy name, and, um, hmm, we better write a, a backstory for him to put on the card that goes with the action figure. And then, conversely, Fred Wolf Studio will <laughs> adapt a loose version of that to apply to the eventual appearance in an animated episode. So, we want to take the craziest ideas, and make them work. So we're looking for new ideas, new ways to see some of the stuff we've already created. That's where you guys come in, because uh, you both rock, and uh, we think that this could be a good fit. What do you think so far? I, I severely underestimated my anthropomorphic ability to draw <laughs> anthropomorphs. Yeah, That's okay, because not everything on this planet is anthropomorphic. I know. I'm just like, man, why didn't I ever do that, ever? Like, draw human animals. Good resource for some, some tips and tricks along the way that helped me as I was putting this stuff together. Uh, Lackadaisy has a number Yeah, of... I've seen her stuff. Okay. I just, in my brain, it doesn't put people faces and cat faces together very well. well then it's something read, I'm working through. Read, read a lot of Black Sad. <laughs> read a lot of Black Sad. And like Doug said, if that just doesn't come naturally, I, I mean, experiment whatever you feel like. But I got like, people down. There's, I got people there's down. so much everything else uh, that I need. There's to work so many on. different kinds of peopleoids that are, are aching to be created that we don't even know about. Don't, yet. Well, Glampi don't Glampire specifically looks the most human out of everyone. Don't yeah. take my say. hesitation as like Ugh, it's more like how am I going to do this? All right, it's is cool because then I get to like press the threshold. Yeah, how close to the original dog face shapes do we want to stay, or do we just do like human eye frames? Or good questions. I think this is actually something that, you know, we don't want to limit you, how you guys work, but I think we actually have the ratios of, of human animal things like pretty locked down. They have, let's say straight up dog faces, but the way they emote with their eyes and with their mouths and so on, because it's a cartoon. Here we go. On a scale of SWAT cats to G-Force. What's G-Force? G-Force is a... SWAT cats more than G-Force. SWAT... It's the one with the guinea pigs. G-Force is just a talking guinea pig. It's just talking guinea pigs. It's a literal fucking guinea pig. That's right with Zach Galifianakis. I forgot it's, that. It is, more, it is more SWAT cats <laughs> well, than, uh, uh, than G-Force. I went yeah. like on the people spectrum. And, they, like, and if you had a sliding scale of morphing, like if it was the Animorphs <laughs> cover, <laughs> like one being the person and one being the animal, if, like if, on this scale, if how one, best If one. one was SWAT cats and 10 was G-Force, we're going with like 0. 0.5. Okay. So it's like, the, I the, got you. Those are the Tony, first... Tony, teach me how to doggy. Okay. I will, I will absolutely teach you how to doggy. <laughs> teach me how to doggy. Teach me how to doggy. <laughs> Yo, local shop, you've been quiet. What's on your mind? She's been busy, man. <laughs> She's been sketching Spending, the whole time. you know, drawing, drawing things. Oh, whoa. Whoa, that, that mask thing in the corner? We got to do something with that. Now, weird naked little chihuahua, man. I, 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 <laughs> he, He's like Doby. <laughs> John Laval has been really pestering us to have a Chihuahua character called Chihuahua. Um, 
And uh, he's B team, if any. Like <laughs> he's we've... the one that they leave at the base on accident every time. <laughs> he's like, just so right. excited to see him when so he gets tiny. back. But then you like as soon as he's out of frame, you've forgotten him already. Like he's just so forgettable. Hey guys, guys, can I go on a mission with you today? Can I go on the mission with you today? Guys, 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 come on. Come on. You leave me at home, this I gotta I gotta scrappy do of, of the of this. <laughs> he just wants to fight everybody, but nobody's like having it. They're like, uh, no, stop. Chihuahua, really? Come on. And I like that little ooh. robot dog. Yeah, uh, that guy? Yeah, it's very uh, Tom and Jerry. And somehow drooly. How does robot dog drool? <laughs> fluids. <laughs> Precious bodily fluids. Really cool plant person with this like saggy moss face. Wow, I don't... What's uh, is this like a, a totem? I don't know. That's cool. The thing. It's a good thing. The thing. Check this out. That's some beefcake Pierre right there. Ooh, space boy. And a, and a bat person. Well, that's neat. And he's got a... I don't know what that thing is with a big circle on his chest, but that's cool. And that's, uh, I was figuring one of the robots. Ooh, that's neat. It's a neat. So could be could be robots, could be armor, could be I anything. Was, I was I picture wherever they do wind up, it's going to be a cold place. Yeah, because it just it makes the most sense for the robots. But if they're standing down there, I doubt that they'd be cleaning themselves, like shaking off the ice. It doesn't really matter if it's not keeping them from moving. Can sure. I make a suggestion? No. If we, I'm gonna say it anyway. All right. Take it or leave it. That's up to you, Tony. If we don't do Antarctica which I would be sad if we didn't. I think the next best place might be Mount Everest. Hmm. It's... Mm, I still think that the robots need to be far enough removed from everything else. Because if they're in Everest, they're well, in conflict with somebody directly. How so? The, 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 the biomes for Earth have changed completely. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so it, we don't need to say Everest. We don't even need to say Antarctica. We just have like a, a mountain range that's frozen over. And we could have like little solar panels that hung like Tibetan prayer flags or something. I don't know. That sounds kind of neat. <laughs> that kinda... actually, that does sound. Yeah. Instead of string or twine, it's just, it's like copper. <laughs> it's copper wiring. Yeah. Of course, the thing, the reason why I mentioned Everest is because that even for humans, it's pretty remote already mm -hmm. to get up there. But for a robot, that's no problem. Also, a robot. It would... And robot goats to help get up the mountain. Well, because I was thinking, because we were talking about Antarctica because of, it's cold and there's lots of sunlight. If you're up on Mount Everest, if you're up like above some clouds, there could be lots of sunlight up oh there. Oh my God, their fuel itself. efficiency. They just run off of solar power. Exactly. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. They don't have to run off of anything. They don't have to run off of anything else. Yeah. Yeah. And the goats can be their pets. Yeah. They can be like the and only how, thing they and, really connect with. And how could you defeat, like, if you were Glampire and you wanted to fight the robots, how the hell are you going to fight a mountain full of robots? Like, it's, it's, You know, I'm actually, the more we're talking about it, the more I like this idea. You and can hollow out the mountain. You know, exactly. It's, it's, robots could do all that. If they are all solar powered, wouldn't that mean that they are the most environmentally friendly creatures on the planet? So what if they they, other than the plant, hand, other than the plant <laughs> creatures, which is why him the, and the plant the creature, plant weirdly enough, the pinnacle of technology and the pinnacle of nature. See, this is why I was afraid that my love of Mass Effect would start to like seep into Lightning Dogs because it's more of like, listen, we all need to fight this big bad thing that's happening, this cosmic horror thing that's happening. Plant guy, you hate Glampire. Robot people, you hate Glampire. Yes, why don't we, we all do. join forces? I'll take each one of each of you, put you on my squad. No, I think it could look I th at it like evolved children. <laughs> I think it's an interesting situation with them because their motivation is like most artificial intelligences it's hard to perceive in human terms and generally kind of altruistic they're looking for the furtherment of themselves and their, their own knowledge they have a they've created their own ecology effectively and a sustained environment so maybe the next step for them is to travel to the stars their resources are maybe through the roof like oh here we go here's the fucking conflict Glampire can't manufacture anything he needs to create technology to get, a, to get off the like the only 
the only way to get anything that's useful from to that degree of technology is to steal it from them or to take it by force or to enslave them or something. So could um, it be that the robots are guarding the last farfetch but don't tell the lightning dogs about it? Entirely possible, yeah. I don't know what you mean about that door over there. Yeah. <laughs> Flying they're, circuit engaged. They're not no. they're not going to talk like this. <laughs> they're all going to talk like puppy cat. Like weird vocaloids. <laughs> Or like Chopper from Rebels. <laughs> it sounds angry. They go, don't, don't make it even more angry. Don't worry, I speak droid. Blah, 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 blah. And then robot. <laughs> it's like just it's angry. And oh, 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 I see what I did there. I actually said, blah, when I meant to say, blah. It's a completely different context. So I got some stuff I want to show everybody. There's uh, a couple new things that we've drawn since last we got together. I did an experiment with Local Shop the other day where we took turns drawing body parts, connecting them into single creatures, and we have one complete body and then one partial body. Now, this is maybe a bit extreme for the average <laughs> denizen of the wasteland. The second page, not so much. The second page, we can roll with that. But this first page, we've created this, this horrible, 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 horrible mashup of creatures and arms and legs and stuff. That, yeah, um, that looks horrible. That, that is... That's probably Queen Lich's problem. We have a character called Queen Lich, and she's a... I'm gonna die. That's hilarious, too. <laughs> I could do better than that. <laughs> she's a, a rogue geneticist. She, she was originally a human, but she evolved to something more. She swaps uh, out body parts constantly. She has no humanity left. She's basically a Dr. Moreau on overdrive kind of character. Until you guys fight me really hard on this, I'm gonna continue to picture somebody who can swap out any part of her body the same way that you would like piece together various action figures you know pop an arm out of socket put a new one in and she's just got you know those scenes in 80s movies where the girl walks into her closet and it's shoes and dresses picture pieces picture wings and talons and i think that's generally the thing we'll go with I, she's called queen lich because of a certain general appearance that makes her wraith like i suppose mm -hmm. i imagine have you seen Coraline? Yes. Yeah. And so when the other mother becomes all spider-like and like, <laughs> but then she does like the hexadecimal thing where she can change her face and like she does whatever she would mm -hmm. interchanges parts. And you wouldn't have gotten that reference last weekend. No. Thank you. That was we very timely. Did you yeah. We just watched it. Oh, that's nice. That's <laughs> so, lovely. I love that movie. Welcome to my childhood. Welcome to my twisted mind. My GeoCities webpage. <laughs> <laughs> my embedded MIDI. Click Click on the animated GIF of the Hot Palace avatar. Spooky skull spinning around 360. <laughs> Rainbow star. Sign my guest book. XXNecoChan at Hotmail.com. <laughs> what happened to the first 665 NecoChans? Where are they? They're in the web ring. Oh. <laughs> So did you guys see the uh, the second page? You also the second page of the freaky... Yeah. This feline lizard McThingy? What's succeeding about this piece the most is the head, which could easily just be like a feral monster. But at the same time, there's enough humanity there that, I mean, put it on the right body and that could be someone's love interest. Mm-hmm. That's Again, it just, it just... Jack goes home to at night. <laughs> to me, it was, it was pretty strong. It almost was asking to be like another character more so than just like background... Halloween Jack baddie. Because again, one of the other things I keep trying to come up with is who else is out there and how loyal are they? You know, those sort of things. And that was the gist of our first session with Kay and Local Shop. But there was a big graphical issue that was nagging us. We really need to nail down a logo. What if the L was a lightning we, bolt? We've got... What if the D was I a like lightning this, bolt? Though. This is looks really... This is yeah. heck of cool. What if it was just two lightning bolts? <laughs> It was just two Ds and some lightning bolts. <laughs> if it was two lightning bolts, it would just be the SS, and we're not doing that. By now, you're no doubt very familiar with the lightning dog's emblem. But back in the days before we launched as a standalone podcast, we had a very different emblem and logo, stemming from the lightning dog's accidental conception on Nerdy Show. Our original logo was designed by Stacey Baldini, Tony's wife, as a kind of parody of Thundercats. Not the typography so much, but the emblem for sure. It was slick and made perfect sense after our first crazy recording, but... Our concept had quickly evolved into something very different, so we desperately needed a change. I'm no stranger to logo design, and had been experimenting with possible emblems, mission patches, and other ideas that could become a new logo for Lightning Dogs, but after a couple years of intermittent attempts, I found the perfect design to be thoroughly evasive. We're looking for something chic, simple, and ultimately iconic, 
something that both us humans and our fictional canine commandos would want to wear proudly. What we needed was a fresh set of eyes, and as soon as we sicked her on it, Kay delivered in spades. If there's anything that I spend my time thinking about more, it's merchandising. I swear to God, it's like all I think about is like, oh man, what can I create that I can sell? This is going to be awesome. And like, I always want to create really cool looking badges and pins and stuff and sell them at conventions. So that's why I was thinking about when I was making it. Okay. Merchandising, where the real money from the project is made. You are in the right place. (laughs) Linked on this episode's page, you'll find a sheet of incredible designs Kay did based on various branches of military. They were all so good, it was a genuine challenge to pick out a favorite. One in particular that we all gravitated towards was a very geometric profile of a dog head with a lightning bolt cutting across it. It was striking, like the bold, defining brand work of the 60s and 70s. At the time, we were certain we had our emblem, but ultimately, none of these amazing designs ended up being the one. However, our pick of the litter did end up being a major inspiration for our final design. That story is still to come later in this episode. But before we tell that tale, in our follow-up meeting with Kay, some of her other logos inspired us to focus on what might have been for the first denizens of Domus that returned to Earth, the Diamond Dogs. I want to keep this dog skull lightning bolt crosses. I just don't know what we're going to use it for yet. This is lightning dogs, and so if we find something cool, we'll invent what it is. I was thinking about shields and stuff like that. Shield shapes. Something that stood for, like, protection. Maybe that's the uh, the patch that the Diamond Dogs wore when they first came to the Wasteland, like, since they're, like, the sort of secret, deadly uh, kick-ass team. It would be awesome. Actually, I, I came across a redundancy in some of the stuff we've been talking about with, uh, with that team and how we never really pared down. Was it going to be an all-military team, or did it fail because it was largely all scientists and diplomats and then just the Terror Terriers as their military backup? In addition to uh, the territories, I think we need to have at least one other military personnel there. Sure. It, it could have just been half and half, like the one that they're already sending. First of all, we don't know what the Diamond Dog's real name was. They're only the Diamond Dogs after they get crystallized by the glass spiders. Exactly. But when they first go, we don't know what the name of the team is. Maybe there is it possible that they're another team of Lightning Dogs? It's possible. Maybe once we see some more designs of Diamond Dogs, we'll be able to say, oh, that looks really good. We'll keep that. And then that'll help inform our decisions on what their backgrounds actually are. So for now, the Diamond Dogs are what they are, but their history, I don't know if it's quite as important as... uh, So basically, we need some other ideas for what they might look like, possibly, just to throw it in the mix to kind of stir up the idea pool. Just even like what different dogs are they? We we don't even know what different... I mean, we, we know there's the Terror Terriers... And there's one kind of Anubis-looking dog with the ears up top. But other than that, well, we don't really that's know. That's not even necessarily set, because that could just be the crystallization. I would like it to be uh, yeah. a, a jackal-style dog, personally. But in relation to the, the diamond dogs, we've practically not firmed up those characters and, and who they are and what they are. But what you were talking about as far as creating some variations and so on, that is something that I would like to see. A lot of our designs for the lightning dogs are based around what they would have worn to the wasteland. And in the spirit of action figures and variants and so on, I feel like there's an inevitability of, you know, there's, there's the Dingo action figure, and then there's Wasteland Dingo. What does his costume change to, or any of them, after spending so much time in the Wasteland? You know, we yeah, w- yeah, variations like that. That's what I was talking about. Yeah. And just, like, stylization variations, like, just different shapes stretched slightly, you know, just little things, not anything ridiculous yes, you know i would love that that's exactly what i would like to see because both you and local shop you're extremely talented <laughs> she's like she's gonna be like the furry senpai like i'm gonna learn everything from her about how to draw animal people <laughs> all of our stuff is so wildly different i think we're gonna get the coolest stuff by combining all of our collective weirdnesses into you know one cauldron so the diamond dogs yes Do you want them to be made of crystals or do you want them to have like organic crystal fusion meshed together horrifically? You know, we we talked about them being all crystal and I think that might be important in order to to keep the lightning dogs from knowing what the diamond dogs actually are for a while. But that visual concept you just described is rather interesting. I'll show you what I come up with. And it's not like the whole body is taken up by the crystals. It's just like key parts. What if they could pull the diamond stuff like over them, like a shield, like to give them character if they were individual characters themselves? They have each their own look to them, but they can call on that crystallized armor that makes them look like that all over. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think with the diamond dogs specifically, they all will have different shapes 
but there's a, a sort of horrifying uniformity to them. So the, the lightning dogs will have no idea that these were former comrades of theirs. They'll have no clue whatsoever. Um, oh, okay. And it, it's a horrifying realization. However, what you're talking about with the biocrystal fusions and the armor and stuff, that's awesome. And I think we should employ so, that for new characters. What if one of the diamond dogs got destroyed and when it blew apart, maybe like somebody was affected by it, by like a crystal getting lodged in them or something? And since they're like living crystallized things, they can almost infect them or something. Right. Okay. No, this is this is great. This is great. It reminds me kind of like a Cold Stone from Gargoyles, the one who is a partially smashed gargoyle statue and then was rebuilt. Yeah, because you always have to have like the cyborg or the one that has to partially bridge the gap between the bad guy's side and it almost becomes like a renegade uh, kind of. Right, and his own personality gets scrambled. Yeah. That's great. So some diamond dogs could get freed, but others, or maybe one other, one particularly important one, who maybe the one, the most lovable one. Um, <laughs> or like, the most idealistic or like the last to get turned or whatever. Yeah. The strongest of the batch. Does not make it out okay. Is completely fused with the crystals in like, you know, a horrific biomass kind of way. And also, by virtue of, you know, however this happened, imbued with some degree of lightning dogs-esque powers. The Terror Terriers, I did some sketches, Tony, and yes. uh, I think I figured out the proportions and how it could work because I decided, okay, so Terror Terriers, they're Terriers, they're short. Yep. They're military, but they're, they're mercenary type individuals. Like they, yeah. they, they're territories is their their nickname. Yeah. Because like, you know people know of them. Kind of like kind of like a PMC, a private military corporation. Yeah. I think of like the you know the, the video game series Army of Two. Yeah. No. Yeah. You got the right idea. So basically, they get turned into a single diamond dog because they, they they work in tandem a lot. Uh -huh. It's one standing on the other one's shoulders. I was it's, picturing exactly that. It's a four armed diamond dog. I am. That is like you're you're taking shit from my head. From back in the day. Yeah, I know. I know. We I know, have I, talked about this a little we, bit. We, did, we talked about it a little bit, but, but I, I did some sketches. They're extremely rough, but they express the proportions that, that could actually make this work. And I think it, it does work now. So that's that's the plan. Uh, four armed diamond dog. They'll fight it. It snaps in half. Oh my God. It's not one creature, it's two creatures. What the hell? I have actually just drawn up a couple concepts for the Terror Terriers. Do tell. Let me screen share. I am picturing these two particularly as Jack Russell Terriers. Yappy, loud, and ain't afraid of nothing. They're way more kawaii than I expected them to be. Well, I figure they do get down and dirty, but for the interest of marketability, keep them looking like a couple of brothers who are just rough and tumble who have seen their fair share of combat. So they've got some more scars than perhaps you would be expected. We got some chewed ears on one of them here. Yeah. Tony, look up Big Man Plans by Eric Powell. Doing that now. Big Man Plans. Oh, yes. Add a little bit of that guy into these guys. <laughs> I think I can handle that. Terriers are kind of thick little dogs, like thicker bodies. Yeah, some little beefy, a little beefier guys. Man, he knows what he's doing. He's making these edits like, no, like nothing. By the time you, you guys listening see this, you'll, you'll be like, what were they even talking about? <laughs> a little bit more barrel chested. Yeah, so, something that like when you see them, even when they're not diamond dogs, you're like, I don't want to fuck with them. Yeah, make that a beefy dog. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Give him a cheesy center. But more sunken eyes, I think. People who've seen shit. I would not want to come across that puppy in a dark alley. The Terror Terriers are, are a good example of something that, you know, we should make as many design options as possible. Many different interpretations. Because this is a character that Tony came up with a funny name. And we know they're terriers, and we know that they're going to be like a revered duo of private military warriors or something like that. But their aesthetics, their humor, we don't know much about them yet. That can be defined by their look. Okay, but I kind of have a thingy that I was doing that I want to show you. Cool. This is uh, the body build that I came up with because they're kind of a stocky, thick middle. And their arms are pretty beefy at the top, so like towards their feet and stuff. Whoa! Look at you, Jesus. That's awesome. We have to do that. That's action figure material. Could this be like maybe after the Diamond Dogs are starting to go good or something? I think this is what Kay was talking about with like one character not surviving the experience unscathed. Right. They... That's right. That's right. Yeah. Oh, man. I want that so bad. Like the armor thing. Oh, it's just it's such an action figure. This is the guy who's got the post-traumatic stress of being a diamond dog. <laughs> yeah, no shit. Yeah. You could say that. <laughs> Putting it mildly. <laughs> Post-traumatic freakish mutation. <laughs> I'm trying to like make the crystals and stuff look like armor, but while still retaining like a jackal head kind of, or like just a terrier head, just a dog head in general. 
He has like a robot eye. <laughs> All right, that's happening. Fuck, fuck this damn thing. He's got a robot eye. <laughs> I have retooled the terror terriers just a bit. You can see they're a tad bit thicker. I have also <laughs> thrown together Captain Jack. Not a Doctor Who not reference. Not a name going to stick around. <laughs> He's our jackal lead from the previous team. Making, I tried to make him look a little bit like a green beret, somebody who's a specialist. Yeah, sort of the dingo surrogate. Well, the this would be who like dingo wants to be. This is the guy who, if you were to use like our lightning dog analog that we've been kicking around in the the domus stuff, this is who would have been pegged as the next lightning dog, and then he falls. So who then would rise after the best of us has failed? Right. It's like, I'm loving all of these designs and character ideas. I just feel like we're jumping the gun a little bit when it comes to trying to pick out who these characters are and who were they before they were Diamond Dogs. I second that feeling. For example, the Jackal Diamond Dog, he's the one everyone's drawn. Even a fan drew him before we released official pictures of him without even having talked about it being a Jackal one. It was just, it was, I guess, just something that, so angular, how could you not? Uh, yeah. But iconic. And I feel like maybe the surprise of that really dominant figure in the diamond dogs would be that it was maybe one of the ambassador types or the scientist types from that team maybe like you know a, a nobel prize winning scientist who could then be the one who's ends up being the most fucked up okay no i can tool around with that too but i love the design for what you just done i love it it's good nothing will go unused he'll show up somewhere it'll be like uh you know like all ralph mccory stuff getting regurgitated in episode seven and star wars rebels yeah so since we're riffing off of uh, designs, I'm going to pull up some local shop stuff from the last stint because we got some um, really fascinating material. She's so good. Jesus Christ. Now, we know the plant guy is going to have many avatars. I love this willow-faced plant avatar. And then that little that totem thing. Yeah. Well, what I always thought was interesting about that totem thing was that we didn't even bring it up, and I totally forgot, but the, um, the idea of the uh, kachinas as a term for the avatars of the plant was something that wasn't finalized by any means, but something that I'd suggested. And I don't know what that is, but it could be related to the, the plant kachinas or maybe like a figurine relating to the mythology of the plant creature. And then this creature with this devil mask here, whatever that is, we need it. That needs to happen. I just saw on the little robot thing on the fifth figure from the left, it's a little YouTube play sign on the front. Oh, I didn't, know, I didn't catch that. Yeah. I think that's meant to be um, kid. and I like that play sign. I do. It's cute. And then she drew a, a bat creature that was her version of, a, of an early Halloween Jack. And while he, he doesn't really relate to Jack as we know him, a cool bat dude to, to populate the wasteland. But I think the two most important things here are the statuette and the devil face thing and how we should interpret those. For... Statuette could be a character. I almost like it just being a remnant of a civilization. Mm -hmm. Maybe even because it also it kind of has obviously it's got like either I see either an otter or maybe a cat. Yeah, because it also looks a little bit like something from a Buddhist temple, which could be one of our first signs of the cats living in Japan. We've been taking a lot of these these new ideas and and placing them into boxes that we'd already set aside. But we got to remember there's a whole world out there. Yeah, we, we can create new boxes. We can do a lot with the different gangs of the wasteland. And there could easily be these people who wear like these. I don't know exactly what culture that is, but I want to say it's vaguely Japanese. Yeah, like, that looks like an Oni mask. Ooh, because we talked about much of the, like, desert people. I'm looking at the veins. I'm looking at, like, the warts that are on there. That right there looks like a salamander to me, something cold-blooded. I was going to say like the something... same thing. It's almost like, it, it looks almost lizard-like, so if they, like, live out in a desert somewhere. Just imagine if the lightning dogs are driving around and they see some, like, movement on the horizon, like a large group of people. They're like, oh, maybe these are friendly ones. We'll stop and see if they can help. They roll up, they look kind of lizardy skin people with like, you know, hoods on. And when they turn, they flip their hoods back and they're all wearing these really creepy masks. And it's like, sorry to bother you. And they just keep on moving because it's just completely creepy. That's funny. We could just say it's a weird cult. We never hear them speak and we just don't ask any questions. It could just be a weird thing that we can explore yeah, exactly. down the line that we don't need That's... to fill out, you know. Oh, truly. Yeah. I really like the idea that they don't talk. Yeah, I like that yeah. too. It's like they let their presence do the talking. We could take it in two directions. It could either be a group of people who wear masks like that or with a mask like that. That could be a Boba Fett style character, you know, like a bounty hunter. Yeah. Or it could be somebody who operates in the jungle areas that we described with that big, horrifying, uh, vaguely Aztec bird behemoth that's been inhabited like by a that. parasite. That's cool. Wait, what? Uh, no, you haven't missed something. 
that's just another incident of us having so many ideas that it's easy for something to fall through the cracks and not get talked about. In this case, there's not too much to say, more something to see. I drew a sketch of a massive bird creature with vaguely ancient South American stone armor and some kind of sinister parasite controlling it, like a tentacle thing sort of crawling out of its mouth. I call it the terror bird. And that's as much as we know, at least for now anyway. Something I should also mention is that even after much scavenging, Tony's sketches of the terror terriers and the jackal from this session have been lost to time. We can't find them anywhere. Should they ever resurface, we'll be sure to post them. But hey, concept sketches are meant to be kind of disposable, so even though we strive to keep absolutely everything, we can always draw more. As of now, there's no more world building this episode, but we've still got some unresolved art talk. For instance, the lightning dogs emblem, and how we developed our favorite of Kay's designs into the iconic symbol that we use today. Tagging back to the logo with the dog head that we all love so much, really, it stands on, a, it's on its own so well, I would hate to overcomplicate it. If we can put the lightning dog head into the, the confines of a military badge, that would be not the logo for the show, but the in-world use of it in most cases. And for the logo for the show, I'd like to take that lightning dog head design and then add some sexy looking text to the side of it. That, I will have to admit, is my weakness. I am very not good at typography. Well, that's cool. We happen to know some people who are. So if, uh, awesome. if you'd like us to pass it off to myself or Denica, we can give it a stab. That would be amazing. Then it shall be done. And so it was done. But as is a reoccurring theme with Lightning Dogs, and really with any big project, it was not done in a way that we expected it. After this recording, Kay realized that though she had a lot of fun with Lightning Dogs, she'd much more prefer to devote her time to her own projects. No love lost there. We still hang out, and if you'd like to see more of her work, we've got all her social links on this episode's page, including her Patreon, where you can fund her work. As for Local Shop, she's still kicking it. She's not a constantly active member of the Lightning Dogs gang, but she's got our backs when we need her expertise, and this isn't the last you've heard of her on the official podcast. Following Kay's departure, we kicked around a number of ideas on what changes would need to be made to the emblem, and how best to incorporate it with a text logo. We were still interested in something that suggested a military patch that could double as the hyper-stylized logo of a 1980s animated series. And then it hit us. The major facet of the lightning dogs that we'd kept out of sight and out of mind until bringing Max on the team. Cars. We wanted an emblem that ticked all those aforementioned boxes, but would also be right at home on the hood of a car. So I sent Kay's emblem over to Denica Robbins, a fellow Nerdy Show co-host and graphic designer, and she hit us back with some designs nailing the new emblem outright. The next problem was the text logo. I was looking for something as striking as what Stacy had done years prior. So I tried my hand at adapting her hyper-stylized logo, and we thought we had it for a hot minute. But after showing my sketches around, I soon learned that my version of the stylization was backfiring. People were reading it as Zeitning Dogs. They knew what it was, like in their brains they knew what it was, but even still, they saw the L and they thought Z, and no matter how I angled it, it wasn't really panning out. So it was back to the drawing board, or more specifically, my old pal Adobe Photoshop, where I hammered out a text logo that Doug, Tony, and I debated over before settling on a design and sending it Denica's way for tweaking and a sleek chrome treatment. Honestly, every time I see the logo that Denica made, I get excited. It is lightning dogs. It is everything that I ever could have wanted it to be. Denica made our dreams come true. So if you ever meet her, give her a high five. She'll be confused, but I don't know, maybe politely shake her hand. Whatever, she's cool. Long story short, few things are ever as easy as they look. Four designers, months of deliberation, and hours and hours of work. You can see our entire logo and emblem evolution in a graphic I've compiled on this episode's page. And really, that's not even the whole story. Someday we'll tell you the sordid tale of how trademarking works. It ain't pretty. Now, we wanted to announce with this episode that we have t-shirts of the emblem on sale. That'd be cool, right? But unfortunately, due to some hiccup with the holiday rush, Amazon Merch put a site-wide freeze on launching new product, and it hasn't yet been lifted. As soon as they're available, we will let you know! And we are also looking into producing shiny enamel pens of the emblem, just like the Lightning Dogs themselves would wear. So yeah, keep tuned to the Lightning Dogs Patreon or our social feeds for when and where and how you'll be able to procure awesome Lightning Dogs apparel, which will in turn help fund our continued existence. In this episode, we've mentioned a lot of artistic collaboration, but there's still one major collaborative force we haven't yet discussed. You. Since this series began, we haven't been the only ones brimming with inspiration. 
Even in the dark times before Lightning Dogs was a standalone podcast and there were massive gaps between episodes, enterprising fans took it upon themselves to create awesome ideas of their own, ideas that inspired us to take a new stance on fan art. At the risk of violating everything that is business-oriented in all the world, because, you know, there's a lot of secrecy that comes with business, I want to be as transparent as possible. <laughs> we said in the past, like, hey, guys, we love your fan art. Keep producing the fan art. We don't want to stop you, but we can't use it because we want Lightning Dogs to be something that we would be capable of selling. And if you create something and own the rights to that creation... We can't use it. We can't use it. So any good ideas, we cannot touch them. Maybe we could loosely interpret them, but we can't admit to having loosely interpreted them. There has been some great fan art, and there's been some stuff produced lately that I've been like, God damn, I really would love to use that. Right. What's it going to take for us to be able to use that? Big Bad Shadow Man yeah. threw out some incredible stuff involving like... The air people. Yeah, yeah, people like... Which, which a, leads a into a whole place like, we hadn't we, even thought we about. Yeah, we didn't even think yeah. go there. And it's great, and his designs are awesome. And Simon Newell, as you mentioned in previous episodes, creating awesome concepts like the jackhammer, like yeah. in a his version of uh, Halloween Jack, not what we went with, but, but a character it, but that it could helped sculpt it for sure, like, like a character that could stand alone as a, as a unique character, even. Yeah. So we're actually going to be doing something where we will be paying people individually, effectively buying concepts and acquiring them, because the only way we can get lightning dogs independently produced by any production house or anything is if we have all the rights under one house. Yeah. So we will be extending to them contracts that they may or may not choose to accept. This, and if they this, don't, then we don't use the concepts. Yeah, then we, then we simply can't. We cannot at all. And then when then, we see Thunderhounds pop up a few months later, we'll know what <laughs> happened. We'll know what happened. <laughs> but but it, I know it sounds really corporate and really weird, but it is legitimately the only way we can move forward. Now, I want to emphasize, we're not looking for a buyout. Far from it. Yes, our ultimate goal is for Lightning Dogs to become an animated series at all costs, but we're determined to be the ones at the helm. That said, it's nigh impossible we'd ever be able to get involved in a serious way with, say, a major animation studio without some kind of signing away of rights. Take Adventure Time, for example. It was originally created as a short on Nickelodeon. Nick had the option to develop the short, but passed. And after a couple years, the rights reverted. But who did those rights revert to? The series was created by Pendleton Ward, and it was produced through the studio Frederator, both of whom probably had some share of the rights. When the series was successfully pitched to Cartoon Network, Pendleton Ward remained a major creative force for Adventure Time, even after eventually stepping back as a showrunner. But with that series' overwhelming international success as a major part of Cartoon Network's brand, it's a safe bet that Ward hasn't held the rights to his creation in a long time. Maybe not ever. And that's just my best guess. That's just me having read many things about that specific instance. But as far as rights go, that's generally how it works. A professional production can't and won't happen if there's any ambiguity about the rights. Maybe I'm overstating things, but I just want to be clear about why we have to be so formal. We want to prepare for any eventuality on the path to our ultimate goal of launching a kick-ass animated series. You, the courageous members of the pack, have always been a source of encouragement to us, and we want to be sure that the door is open for you to be a source of inspiration as well. Now, this isn't a call for submissions. Ultimately, it's less complicated for us, and cheaper, if we don't acquire fan concepts. We're also pretty selective with the ideas we want to make official. But in the event that you share with us a concept that sparks our collective imaginations, you might get a message from us. We still got a long way to go before we achieve animation domination, but we're making the charge. Guns a-blazing. We're prepping to have our series Pitch Bible reviewed by Greg Weissman, creator of Gargoyles and co-creator of Young Justice. From him, we'll receive sage advice on how we shape up and what comes next. Plus, there's all manner of small steps we're planning on the road ahead, like creating episode animatics and comics. Our dedication to Lightning Dogs is eternal, but the one thing that can ensure that we're able to make this dream a reality is your support. Join our pack over on Patreon. Even a dollar means the world to us, and as a member you'll have access to not just awesome perks, but our hub for sharing new developments as they come in. Head to patreon.com slash lightning dogs and sign up. It's super easy, and the only way we can afford to speed along the hazards of production or even release episodes more often. If you're already a member, thank you. We say it a lot, but we, seriously, we can't say it enough. You're amazing. There's also money free ways to contribute. You could tell a friend about Lightning Dogs, turn them onto the show, share Lightning Dogs episodes or art on your social feeds, or you could rate and review us on iTunes. It's easy to rate. Just sign on to iTunes and click some stars. If you've got a little bit more time, leave a review. Doesn't need to be long or fancy, but it all helps. If you've got any questions on how to do it, We've got all the answers over at nerdyshow.com slash spread the word. 
Ratings and reviews increase our visibility in the podcasting sphere and make it easier for people to discover Lightning Dogs. And with the glowing reviews that you find folks have been leaving, who could resist? Here's one from Dumpstat. You remember that one time you and your buddies were hanging out, drinking a few cocktails, and came up with the best and most insane idea ever? Then you woke up the next day, went on with your life, and let your dreams die? You remember that? Well, not these folks. Coming out of the quagmire of 2016 is the craziest 1980s animated series that ever existed. Thanks to the dedication of the Nerdy Show crew, we're able to bask in the glory of the Lightning Dogs. Join the pack now and get ready for the inevitable cartoon release. Thanks, Dumpstat, and thank you for listening. In our next episode, we shed light on the luminescent evil lording over the wasteland, the Glampire. His history, villainy, and role in the destruction of Earth have all been debated over the years. But now, we're hunting for definitive answers. Bye, I'm Cap. Goodbye, I'm Tony. Bye, I'm Doug. Bye, I'm Kay. Goodbye, I'm Local Shop. We'll see you next time on The Lightning Dogs. Like pinned down a dystopia. What about a fruitopia? <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag hell noise. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.